Good day to you. Thanks for listening in today. Um, have very heavy matters on my heart and mind today, this morning. Um, man, goodness sakes. I literally have pages of stuff that I want to record and four different topics, if you will. But where I am specifically this morning that I just would like to try to articulate and really just ultimately put myself out there is in regards to anything that we would call, hmm, I don't know what word to call it, but anything in us that apprehension, avoidance, based upon and established upon, brought to us through great conviction. Okay, so let me go down this road then. I feel clarity on this. Yesterday, while I was out and about a little bit by myself for about an hour, I was just really talking to the Lord about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to say that statement Again, and and I want to put it into your thoughts, into your understanding. I'm going to ask, I'm going to pose it as a question to make it clear to you. What is the conviction of the Holy Spirit? I'm purposely giving you a few moments to to answer the question to you. What is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we'll take it a little bit further. To you, what is your understanding of the purpose of the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Okay? So this is where I've been the last 24 hours that God has brought to my attention this morning pertaining to other matters on the table of my life. And so, to get get the ball rolling, I just really felt a clarity yesterday in the asking of the proper understanding of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I realized as I kind of meditated on my own understanding of that and scrutinized my thinking towards it, that I, I would say my thinking towards it was off. That I realized when I posed that question to myself, or, or I could say I felt the Lord ask that question of me, because I kind of, in a moment of just praying in the Spirit for some time yesterday and then with words like asking God to teach me the proper conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And where I ended up going with that is I realized that the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life was kind of errantly viewed as always, not always, but in most cases, through the lens of in regards to past experiences, past occurrences in my life. Example, 
Okay, so let's say this morning, hypothetically speaking, I had the, had the urge to, to load pornography on my cell phone. And let's say I gave in to that temptation and I, I joined myself with that activity of, of looking, placing my eyes upon something sinful and unholy, displeasing to God. And to make my point, then, after that occurrence, whether mere seconds on a clock passing or hours, days, weeks later, I would, quote, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I just felt like along those lines I was missing something. That, that what I arrived at, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward through a whole lot of things yesterday that I was thinking on, but just arriving at the place where the true function, the true rightful way to walk under the conviction of the Holy Spirit is actually in a proactive sense. A proactive sense that's advantageous to us instead of responding to sin and disobedience. Because, and I'm thinking in this very moment of like the heart of a child, isn't the goal of rearing our children to get them to a place where before that disobedient act is performed, They actually realize in maturity about what they are about to do. And instead of making the decision to be a rebellious, disobedient son, they refrain from the disobedient act and are thereby deemed righteous, we could say, to use a big spiritual word. Free of guilt. Why? Because of the weight that has been instilled into them on how they decide on a matter, how they behave. Is it not the same for us spiritually speaking? Is not the ultimate expression of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in a man to be proactive, to help us on this side instead of on the other side of a temptation, of a test, of a trial, of an opportunity to give in to the lusts and cravings of our natural man condition that we are continually dying to and putting upon that cross. The function of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so, well, why am I saying that? Well, that in itself I could spend another 30 minutes kind of elaborating on, but Right now in my life is just a season of God piecing together a lot of pieces that seemed kind of unrelated, but putting them together to formulate a picture for me and my household. In the midst of many questions in this season, many things I claim to have zero understanding or clarity on, nonetheless, God is formulating via pieces of his speaking to me through his word, through dreams, through times of prayer and 
communication with him and with others, primarily my wife right now, beginning to allow some things to come into view with some instruction and direction. And so as my wife and I were hours into a very deep conversation this morning, we had our Bibles out and and God was just really speaking to us about some matters of things that we've both been studying together, things that we've been talking about, asking God to speak and give us direction. I realized that and I'm going to get as specific as specific as I know how. I don't know how long this will take me. I don't feel like I can break this up into parts. Parts it may be lengthy. It's it's just going to have to be whatever. And I've shared a little bit about this before in podcasts, but primarily just with those in my life, my family a little bit. My wife of course knows with much more disclosure than anyone else. And this is where I'm getting at, okay? Now, I want to try to make this, hopefully the Lord will give me the ability to connect even just these few dots I've thrown out there on a page. And so, anything in our life that is kind of a no trespassing zone, oh, that, ah, God, no, 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 I don't, I can't go there that maybe we would never say out of our mouths. We sing songs about, oh God, I'm I'm yours. I'm completely bare, whatever versions of songs we sing. I'm holding nothing back. Like, man, I'm telling you, we've got to examine our hearts and see if that's really true. If it's not true, may we just shut our mouths. May we not sing songs about how there's nothing at all between us unless that's true. Yes, may we sing it in faith, God, may it be so. Help me, God, please. But man, may the declaration of our mouth just be honest and laid bare, saying, God, there are things in me. Help me, God, please, to entrust myself to these, entrust you to these things, myself unto you in these matters of my life. Because there may be things you don't even know. Things that the Holy Spirit has to unveil and reveal for us to even see for the rest of our days. Good grief, I'm trying to think of even where to go from here because I feel like I'm standing in front of five different crossroads of opportunity. So I'll stick with my original intention. For me, baptism has been on the table for years. I was baptized when I was young. I want to say, shoot, I don't know, 1984 maybe, 85. I remember writing it in my Bible. I remember the night I was, to the best of my ability at the time and understanding, saved, although it was basically I didn't want to go to hell. That's no new story. That's very commonplace. I understand that. But I remember being baptized and, and who did it and where. And my, my very limited understanding of what that even meant. And, 
Obviously, over the course of my life, specifically over the last 10 years, I've really revisited my understanding of baptism. And then as the scriptures have been revealed to me in much greater measure on the matter, I started several years ago just reckoning with the fact that I needed to be baptized again with an understanding of what it means, of what, not just what it means, not just what it, like, represents. It's not just some imagery, but like the, the supernatural qualities within the act, not just some metaphor. Well, now this is as you're dead, and this joins you with, no, I mean, so much more than just some recitation of, of verbiage that identifies me with the church. Oh my gosh, it's so much more than that. The purification, mikvah. Look into the mikvah of the Old Testament. How did John the Baptist even know what in the world he was doing? Well, there was much that preceded that. And so, I felt beginning years ago about like, there's a day before me when I will be baptized again. And I would say that that moment has come. And this is where it just gets to the heart of who I am. And that, uh, I don't want to go there place. And may the Lord speak it to anyone who might hear this. If they have a, I don't want to go there place. Whatever it may be for you. That you may not even know is in there. I know mine. My main one. But there are others. In my natural body, I have what would be qualified, defined as a abnormality. A physical condition. That I kept hidden for most of my life to, to ridiculous means. And just so, I mean, just for the sake of understanding, be like, well, what in the world is he talking about? Like, what? I mean, has he got a tail? I mean, what is it? But I have this condition of my chest where it's, it's a birth defect that I was born with an inverted, we'll keep it simple, I won't get too medically on you, but like, my sternum is inverted, and there's different levels of what I have. It's called pectus excavatum. There's different levels from minorly visible to what they literally deem extreme. And it's all numbered. I've looked through it much throughout the years of my life. And I'm on the extreme level. So much so that my lungs and my heart are displaced. They're not where they would normally be. My rib cage flares out instead of in, as you imagine, the, the skeleton of a normal person. It's, a, it's affected my spine. It's affected like chest strength, you know, upper body strength. Praise the Lord I've not had issues that doctors have been surprised over the years that I don't have of really bad breathing, asthmatic conditions and 
shortness of breath because my lungs don't have the capacity of normal set of lungs. But primarily for me throughout my whole life, it's been my, my physical appearance. I couldn't tell you when I first realized I was different. My parents never really informed me of it. We've talked about that over the years. My mom, until probably the last eight, nine, ten years, never even knew it was such an issue for me. And, you know, whatever the case, I don't know why it was never discussed that I was different or whatever. I can't go back that far. That's not my purpose. But my, I remember, like, in baseball, you know, kids would kind of give me a hard time about it and poke my chest and laugh. And, you know, I'm not boo-hooing that, oh, have pity on me. I mean, that was part of my childhood. I loved basketball. But one of the hindrances of playing basketball is shirts and skins. You're probably not allowed to do that anymore, but even at my small Christian school, hey, it's scrimmage time. Shirts and skins, blow the whistle. Joel, you're on skins. Oh, good Lord. Oh, gosh. I've got to take my shirt off. Consider me dead. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Embarrassment to no end. Because of my physical condition. I look different. I look weird. What's with him? What's the deal with that? So I dealt with that, obviously, my whole life. Oddly enough, like, experiences with with girls, like it never seemed to be an issue. It was always an issue for me. I could never understand why with my relationships throughout my life, it was not an issue. It was so much bigger of an issue always to me than anybody else. Most of the time. As far as relationships with girls and into my latter years of women. Which was always strange to me, and I could go down another road with as why that was, but that's a whole nother ball of wax. And so, okay, so mature me into adulthood. Nothing's changed. It's actually become more severe as I've aged because of just the changing of an adult's body. I'm 46 years old now, you know? <laughs> Things just change. (laughs) And so if anything, it's more noticeable now than it's ever been. Still an issue. Still an issue with me. It has never, ever subsided. Now, the Lord brought me to a place of, of really exposing this issue with me about four years ago, five years ago. Really for the first time publicly just confessing the stronghold of my life that it had been. And it was very freeing for me. That was when the door was was opened up on it. But I've never just really, 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 really gotten free and I will even confess openly like I'm not afraid of saying 
I don't know that I will be. My faith towards it struggles. Like, will I ever be like completely free to be me? I don't know. I'm more free now than I've ever been. That's encouraging. But can I ever really be free? Who can set me free from this body of death, right? Are scriptures scriptures real to us, friends? <laughs> like, do they mean something to us, or are they just words? And so let me bring years' worth of thought into the remaining moments of this recording. Up to present day reckoning. A couple years back, maybe three years ago even now, the Lord spoke clearly to me that I would be baptized again. And that he desired of me to to remove my shirt during my baptism. And as foolish as it may sound to your ears, there's a place down deep in me that's terrified of that. And I don't want to go there. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm odd. Maybe you don't have that place. I have that place. And as I've told with great emotion to my wife, it's not a stretch for me to really relate to Jesus in the exposing of himself physically. Because to me, Taking off my shirt in amongst, in amongst other people is basically me feeling naked. And I'm not exaggerating that in the slightest. If anything, I might prefer the lower part as opposed to the, for, to the upper, if you get what I'm saying. It is that way to me. And I'm not trying to be lighthearted. It's that much of an, of an exposure to me. And so I've tried to explain to her, and maybe this will make sense in what I'm trying to say in this recording to, I don't even, man, is, is anybody going to listen? I don't even know. Maybe this is just for me. Another facet and another page on the book of my life around this matter. is the willingness to really give myself to the purpose of baptism, its purpose. And what we've been looking at this morning, my wife and I in the scriptures, and golly, I don't even have time to even crack open the door on that, but just the scriptural account of what we're doing when we do that is we're joining with his death. We're joining into his death, y'all. There's a declaration by our actions and by our mouths that we're coming up, up out of this water as dead men so that the Father can look down upon us and say, hey, I'm well pleased with this one. I'm well pleased with him. And I was jumping around and I was reading 
of Jesus' last words uttered that we know of that were recorded, and it's only in Luke, I believe, where it's recorded because Matthew and Mark simply say, Jesus said something, he shouted something and breathed his last. But Luke tells us that he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And friends, I cannot shake the reality that I'm not sure I can really commit my spirit unto him, unto eternal Yahweh God, until I call this body dead. Jesus breathed his last And his physical body was as good as dead. And then, at that moment, at that complete transfer, he committed his spirit, who he really was, back into its eternal condition. Now we know what took place post-crucifixion. There was a whole lot about to happen with Jesus in spiritual places. We know that. But there was an end. There was a culmination of fulfilling of his flesh body on the earth. Done. Finished. What did the, what did the thief on one side of him say? You're the king of kings. You're the Messiah. I know who I am. We know that by the distinction between the thief on the other side, which said, hey, get me from here if you're who you say you are. The other thief, he didn't argue his place. He was the Syrophoenician woman. He didn't argue his reason for need. He had the audacity audacity to say, oh, king of kings, lord of lords, king of the Jews, Jesus the Christ, Take me with you where you're going. I acknowledge who you are. I acknowledge my condition. My body's about dead. You're my only hope. And we know Jesus said, let it be so. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be in me. And so I'm just, I'm all over the place, y'all. I might need to go camping for a couple days and hear the voice of the Lord speak to me like a mighty rushing wind. Because there is a death to be had. And if your baptism was just getting wet, then brother, you missed it. I've been regenerated. I've been recreated. I've been moved from death to life. The kingdom of darkness is no longer my home. Yes and amen. But there's something for me. There's something to taking my eyes off in in the measure that I still have them on, this natural body of flesh that I know God is wanting me to be buried as much as I can right now. He's not asking me to go kill myself, but what is he asking me to do? The washing, the cleansing, the mikvah reality. I need consecrated. I need washed. 
We looked at the scriptures of the pursuing of the enemies. I don't even have time to go into a a couple sentences of what we've been looking at. I've got to give myself to the uh uh-uh places. No, 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 no. Not there. Places. Like, I need to put them on the altar. Not bring them to the vicinity of the temple. And think about presenting them. There's got to be a time, friends, where we say, I'm going. This has got to die. Something in me is alive and it needs to die. For me, it's this. God desires a contrite heart. An obliterated heart where there's nothing left of me left identifiable. And I do have faith to believe And as my wife and I prayed this morning, oh God, help my unbelief. Because I want my faith to believe that when I come up out of that water, maybe in mere days, that I'm going to be be changed. Something in me is going to be presented to eternal Yahweh differently than on the other side. I believe that. I believe it. I believe it. There's another transaction to be made that I've not yet tasted. And so I put that in your court, friend. And I'll culminate with this and I'll close. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. God spoke clearly to me this morning as I was talking with my wife. And he answered my prayer just from yesterday. Thank God for that. The conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, Joel, nobody's going to make you do this. But if you don't do this, you're going to have regret. The conviction of the Holy Spirit before a matter. Do we not all know the conviction of the Holy Spirit after the fact? of resisting, of denying, of giving in to temptation, of shrinking back. We all know that conviction. I want to be a man who knows the conviction and warning of the Holy Spirit to avoid being found displeasing in the eyes of the Lord. I want to be an obedient son who knows the will of my father because I'm listening, because I'm hearing, because I'm responding in humility, because I'm receiving his instruction and thereby I am an obedient son. And what words does the obedient son hear? 
this is my son. In him, in this one, I am well pleased. And the son can then go all the way to the sacrificial death and say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That, my friends, is our goal. To be able to be deemed well-pleasing, which leads us to committing our spirit entirely to God, dead to our flesh. Amen.